everybody, and welcome to Cat's Cradle, the sideshow, the sort of symphonies where we talk about the mechanics and the game design of Heroic Chord, and about me, Cat, all the time. Always me, always Cat. With us tonight are me, Cat, Cat. Hooray, Cat! Also, Kathleen and Kirsten are here. I am not Cat. I'm not Cat either. I love you both anyway. <laughs> we love you too. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Yay! Uh, so what are we talking about? We are talking today about difficult choices. Difficult choices is that kind of like whether or not you want to pull the lever to have the train run over one person or run over <laughs> five people? Look, I'm not from the internet, you guys. <laughs> but we were talking earlier about difficult choices in game design and... In Heroic Chord, that manifests most often as edge successes and scatter bargains. But it's one of my favorite things in game design is difficult choices. And they haven't always been as big in games, I think, as they are lately. Because uh, Dungeon Dragon doesn't have a ton of them. Not that I can think of. Anytime I've ever played, it's been you can you do the thing or you don't do the thing. The most difficult choice in Dungeon Dragon is whether or not you spend the spell slot. Yeah, you might need that spell slot later. I always had a bad habit of, like, saving them up, and then I would never end up using them anyway, because it's like, well, I'll save them up in case I need them, and then never ended up using them. Audience. Like a spell hoarder. Audience, like, I need you guys to know that Kirsten's lying to you right now. Because every time I've seen Kirsten play anything like Dungeon Dragon, Kirsten only plays Barbarians. Uh, I guess I don't really use spells, but yeah, <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> you gotta know whether or not to use that once a day feat. <laughs> like, even when we were playing a freeform game that meant every character had the ability to use spells... You did pretty much play Barbarian. <laughs> oh, it's true. And actually, thinking about it, if I did have, like, when I would do, be a Barbarian with feats, and it was, like, a feat I could only use so often, I generally came out the gate swinging with that feat. Yeah, actually, it's, it, I, I didn't save things at all. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you, you find a weary traveler. <laughs> I swing eight knives at it. What? I rage. I rage immediately. <laughs> I rage at the system. <laughs> Uh, like, Kirsten pretty much only has one mode, and it is destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why, like, in our other Heroic Chord Test campaign, Kirsten is playing an Arcanist, and that blew my mind because I think it was the first time <laughs> I'd ever seen Kirsten play what is effectively a wizard. Yeah, this is, I think it, this system is the, the system I've interacted with magic the most. <laughs> You missed the episode about magic. I did, yes. Listeners, as you could as you can tell on my witticisms are not included in that. I was not present for that episode, but we did dunk on you a little bit. <laughs> Cause that's what happens. So, um <laughs> I guess a little bit of background is that Heroic Chord was influenced by a lot of games. And I'm gonna be real open about my influences in Cat's Cradle because I like to talk about games I like. I like to talk about games. I love role playing games kind of obsessively. And one of the biggest influences is also one of the smallest influences because this game is a page long. 
it's an old, I guess, not like D&D old, but back in our IRC days, Nick and Kathleen and I used to play a little one-page RPG called Ghost Echo. And it was just, it was real easy to play in IRC. You get a dice bot to roll some D6s. You don't have to interact with huge manuals or complicated character sheets. You can just get a bunch of your chat room friends together into a side room to play a little story. I would recommend checking it out. Ghost Echo is really fun. Yeah, go ahead and check out 17design, O-N-E-S-E-V-E-N, design.com, flash Ghost Echo. It's just right the heck there in a little one-page PDF for you. It's got a light little sort of fantasy sci-fi setting that you want to use that I don't think that we ever used when we were playing it, but um, it's a great little system. Mm -hmm. And essentially the way that it works is that anytime you want to do something that is risky, you roll two dice. After you've rolled... One of your dice you use to determine whether or not you succeeded in action, and the other one determines whether or not the risk of that action comes to pass. I guess, for example, if you're, say, picking a lock, and you roll one failure and one success, you get to choose whether, like, you fail at the roll, but you don't get caught, or you succeed at picking the lock, but you make enough noise that you get caught. Or maybe your lockpick snaps, or maybe a ghost doesn't like lockpicks and grabs your uh, your hand through the lockpick and the hole in the door. I don't know. It depends on what kind of game you're playing. And the GM would usually tell you what the risk is there. Mm-hmm. But this notion of a game where players could and often would choose to fail was an absolute revelation back in the proverbial day, and I still love it. It's the biggest place where edge successes came from because I also wanted to build a game where players could and would consciously make the choice to fail at a role. Not just for storyline reasons, but because there were other things that were more important. It it kind of makes, like, anytime I've had to decide on an edge success, it's not just, like, trying to decide about, I mean, we don't have inventory man- management, but it's not like trying to, like, decide, oh, how many times you can use something or that kind of thing. It's more like, you know, this can come back to get me in the future. Like, do I take the risk? And sometimes it also depends on my character. One of my characters, just in the other playtest group, is more cautious. So often tends to not take edge successes as often. And as you can see, listeners, Penelope is less than cautious and um, tends to not really think about the consequences of edge successes as much. So... We've got Ghost Echo as this kind of like choosing to fail, choosing not to fail kind of system. Um, What were some of the other like failure states you were thinking about? Because like oftentimes when we're talking about systems based on six-sided dice that are role-playing games, I think to like powered by the apocalypse type stuff a lot where you have failure, mixed success, total success sort of things. And it's where it's sort of like a almost a you're rolling against the GM to see whether or not you are in control of the scene at times. Weirdly, I hadn't actually had a lot of exposure to Powered by the Apocalypse when I was 
first working on heroic chord. I have since, but I didn't when I uh, when I started. So it didn't really factor in. But as I was observing Powered by the Apocalypse, I realized that it wasn't so much about characters choosing to fail as characters making difficult choices about things that run parallel to success. Like a missed success was still a success. There was never really an option for the player to say, no, actually, it's not worth it. I don't want that. Mm. Or players, I don't know, they just don't seem to take it as often. Yeah, it makes sense. What was so powerful about those Ghost Echo games was looking at a situation and saying, no, actually, it's not worth it. I'll back off. I'll fight another day. One thing I wasn't expecting, and this also came up when we were talking about this before we hit the button and started the recording, is that I was not expecting before we started playtesting to find edge successes as revealing as they are. One thing I love is when Cobb was leaving the barrel green, how any time I asked him to put that lockbox in jeopardy, would not do it. It was a no-go. A complete non-start. <laughs> Cobb won't do it. He wants the booty. I think that I've also seen edge successes as an opportunity as a player to sort of define my character. <laughs> yeah. I always kind of envisioned Tissa as kind of a loner, like definitely a bit touched in some ways, but sort of I really <laughs> like the way that Tissa's edge successes in social situations have kind of come up to like, well, okay, you get it, but you immediately make the situation a little bit awkward. <laughs> yeah, I, I love those. I genuinely love those every time. Especially since she's usually she's usually interacting with an NPC who is awkward in a completely different way than she is. <laughs> and who does not know how to deal with people breaching social norms. I always, I genuinely love those scenes. So what started out first is me emulating Ghost Echo because I wanted players to decide to lose became a really interesting way for my players to tell me who their characters are. Um, One of our characters in the playtest campaign would take any edge success that caused harm to him, would never take one that caused harm to a party member. Won't do it. You're, You're talking about Nick's other character, right? No, I'm talking about um, Alex. I'm talking about Daniel. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... Like, if it harms him, he's fine. If it harms a party member, absolutely not. Oh, 100% Um, not, yeah. Our friend Dustin's character will take every edge success. Oh. I don't know that he's ever turned one down. Ah, I'm trying to think... And I've put some real bananas ones in front of him. Like Oh, especially the more bananas, the more more likely... I am always trying to push to see what that character will say no to. And it's it's hard. He is an improv master. Just say yes. Yes (laughs) and. (laughs) Yes and, yeah. (laughs) He's the yes man. And through that, we've kind of... The weird thing is I think we know less about that character than we know about, like, Kirsten's character who will sometimes take on an edge success, but who usually wants to avoid unnecessary risks. I am playing um, a character who's older than, so the character I'm playing now, I, don't, I can't remember if I stated it specifically, but she's 19 and, and so a lot more impulsive, whereas Felicity, the character that I 
the the other game or the the other playtest of this game is in her later 40s and a lot more life experience and tends to be yeah more cautious about situations a little bit more forward thinking so tends to back off on a lot of the edge successes so we know a lot more about characters it turns out and it turned out during playtesting based on when they choose not to succeed then we learn when they succeed mm-hmm. we get to see what is an unacceptable risk for these adventurers who've been to the ends of the earth where do they draw the line um and i love it i yeah, i love it every time especially when it's something really silly <laughs> i'm trying to think of the what is this a real bad stomach ache yeah, yeah, real bad stomach ache is where Penelope draws the line. Um, the Cobb just being like, I will swim all the way to shore. I'm not dropping this long ball. Yes. <laughs> I loved that. I loved that moment a lot. Um, you also kind of see it in scatter costing. Because, like, Tissa will absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tissa, will, Tissa will push a spell pretty far. yeah. Cobb will not. No. I'm still surprised that Cobb didn't take that extra treasure from the prince. I am too. Yeah. He could have. Or it's like um, a lot of times when it's an opportunity to heal or damage, he's only, it's only like one point like mm. in the fight with the blades. Yeah. He's really a really conservative spellcaster, which is interesting. Whereas often, I think Tissa out of us has been pushed to the close to getting full scatter more than any of the other characters? Um, I think that I've had her right at the limit at least once in every single arc that we've done so far. (laughs) Yeah. Tissa is regularly just tripping balls. (laughs) And Penelope, like, similarly to Cobb, doesn't really spend a ton of scatter. And I wasn't expecting that. But Penelope does spend memory points. Yeah, Those I tend to run pretty pretty low on memory points. I tend to use them up, like, pretty quickly. That's fine. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You use them to make cool things happen. That's why they exist. But with Scatter, tend to be pretty conservative, which is surprising because, like, um, I'll t- she'll take more physical risks, but when it comes to Scatter, it tends to be... Not quite as sure. Well, I'm sure that eventually Kat's going to be throwing more um, monsters that force us to scatter at us, and uh, Yell's instincts will be proved correct, but that hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you guys didn't fight the the baguettes, but, but the prince's retainers were absolutely capable of forcing scatter and inflicting mental status ailments. Oof. So, yeah. I was a little bit disappointed that you chose not to fight them because I was really (laughs) hoping to just wreck up the place emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) I think another thing is that scatter is kind of a resource, and I think it triggers that gamey resource management instinct in a way that situational risks don't. Scatter is, I mean, it's effectively an HP, but for your brain. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think expending those points feels like a different kind of risk than, say, like, falling upon your buttock and looking like a fool. 
or eating too many hot peppers and feeling very bad. You get that kind of meta out of game thing where you're like, oh, I only have so much and you kind of want to, you know, yeah. you don't want to be caught without it and then need it. And yeah. so I guess it interacts slightly differently with the player or with the player themselves. One thing that I need to put in the manual going forward is more guidelines for edge success conditions because I put a lot of them in this in the skill section. Mm-hmm. But as a GM, it can still be really challenging to think of appropriate ones. This is me as the GM saying, if you're running Heroic Chord, don't be afraid to open the floor to your players. Sometimes they've got some real great ideas about what would make a situation complicated. That's true. We've had it happen. Like we've had people pop up with suggestions before where it's like, ah. Oh. How many times have we been playing the game and I've been like, man, I don't know, and then flopped over backward in my chair whining? It's it's happened, especially the more you've tried to push Dustin's character. There's been times where I've been like trying to say, well, no, 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 not Dustin's. But I know it's I know I know it's happened where it's kind of like it's tricky. It can be tricky sometimes. I really like mechanics that ask players uh, what they want to do and make backing down a viable option. I got real hooked on that, but. I was not aware of how much fun it could actually be when you're using it for these character moments. And since it's useful for character moments, I just got a really good idea. Let's full-on slumber party this particular cat's cradle and just give each other edge success conditions. (laughs) (laughs) Like, um, Kirsten, Mm -hmm. you succeed in getting free ice cream, uh, but... You're going to get, like, it's going to run down your hands and you're not going to be able to wash your hands for a good, like, hour. I eat the ice cream. (laughs) Oh, that would be really hard. That would be really hard for me. (laughs) It was not for Kirsten. Did you hear that? (laughs) So you're just going to walk around with sticky little hands for an hour? Yep. I got to have the ice cream. Okay, you next, Kirsten. Okay. Uh, now all the ones I can think of are food related. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think about now. Uh, okay, lean into it. <laughs> My brain is still trying to think of one. It'll it'll come to me. So you are going to a new place in town, and you can get a reservation. But you have to wait outside in a line, and there might be strangers who want to make conversation with you. Ugh. Um, what kind of place are we talking about? Some place you really are into. Okay, because if it's a good restaurant, I'm doing it. Yeah, me too. If it's a museum, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. If it's like a nerd event, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, I thought of one. You put on your shoe and partway down the block, you realize there's a rock in it. If you stop, take off your shoe, take out the rock, but your foot's going to feel better. But you're going to miss the bus that takes you to your interview and you're going to be late for your interview. I suffer. I, I catch the bus and I suffer. Yeah, like, like if it's something like an interview, I definitely suffer. I, I don't have any problem looking like a weirdo on the bus. The bus is for looking like a weirdo. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, fix it on the bus. Okay, I have one. 
you get reservations at a restaurant that serves your absolute favorite dish, and it's perfect. It's the best in the city. The only open table has direct line of sight to your shittiest ex. Oh. Oh. Nah, I eat somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is this what it takes to get Kirsten to t- turn down food? <laughs> Maybe I could get it to go. <laughs> Just be like... yeah it's like i'm sorry i need to box this up huh i think i would do it like with some consideration i think i would do it Mm. well rather (laughs) if i was by myself i think i would do it (laughs) this is a good Okay, I, I just, this is a real good slumber party, Cat's Cradle, and just, like, we're all in our pajamas, like, lying mm-hmm. on our stomachs on the bed, kicking our whittle feet, playing <laughs> a game of girl talk. It's, <laughs> I've got a corded phone tucked between my uh, between my ear and my shoulder while you guys dare me to call a boy. Like <laughs> One of us is painting our nails or whatever, and yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's, we are not too far away. I know that you're not from the internet, Kat, but, like, we're we're not too far away from what if we kissed in Edge Success and we were both girls. <laughs> you're still from the internet. <laughs> the funny thing is, when I was putting together this version of the manual, I was like, I have to be good to GMs because it's not an easy game to GM, and I'm trying to to make it as easy as possible. And so I'm putting all of these edge. I thought of like three for each gill roll, none of which have ever come up. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, I don't know what do. It's legitimately challenging to come up with something that's going to be tempting. It's hard hard to one size fits all these sorts of things too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, if I were to have one where it's like, there's a treasure. If you succeed at edge success, you don't get a treasure. And the party member is going to be pretty split, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Tiss is fine with not getting a treasure. Cobb is not fine with not getting a treasure. And Penelope is going to hem and haw a little bit before deciding Penelope is real curious about the treasure. Am I wrong? You're, you're, you're right. Um Penelope, I guess it would depend on what the, the the danger of, you know, taking the treasure is. But, like, yeah, your curiosity is most likely going to win out and will edge that. Uh, she'll take that risk. I think the one that I could count on the whole party to accept is you'll look like a jackass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I were like, you'll succeed, but you'll look like a jackass, all three of them. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, like, I don't think any of us really. Yeah, we're like mm. Cobb doesn't care, and Penelope and Tissa may or may not have a concept of what looking like a jackass even is. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most uh, the most accurate summation of those two I've ever heard, and it's beautiful. actually it's because it's it's interesting. You know how Tissa, you were saying that, or. Kathleen, you were saying that Tissa um, Kathleen is, is the real person. <laughs> Tissa is the character. <laughs> you were saying how like Tissa is, you know, spends a lot of time as a wanderer uh, on her own. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've been kind of thinking about it too. Like, 
now that you mentioned the fact that like both Penelope and Tissa might not know what looking like a jackass is, that that Penelope and Tissa both do spend a lot of time wandering, I guess, because Penelope mm-hmm. as a rancher doesn't really interact with people all that much. So interacts with a lot of non-human animals. Yeah. Yeah. Who also so thinks like, she's a jackass. it's a beautiful thing one of these days I swear one of these days I'm going to introduce an NPC that one of you was just real infested and impressing for whatever reason (laughs) and that's the day when you look like a jackass is finally going to be a good edge success condition (laughs) me? I would like to impress Marcus (laughs) (laughs) you'd do a good job of hiding it (laughs) <laughs> but Penelope? No. She's, <laughs> she's <laughs> okay. Okay. What are some difficult choices we can talk about in game? Or in games? It's easy to bring, I think, the stakes higher in tabletop RPGs than it is in, say, a video game. Where ultimately you kind of like die and reload and that's part of the gameplay loop. Whereas, like, you have a campaign going in a tabletop game and a character is going to die, well, fuck. Yeah. And I think it's because there's not as much improv in video games because you have to have assets for everything that happens. Like, you have to have a script and sometimes voiced lines and animations for everything that happens. And there is emergent gameplay, and a lot of it's based on player choices, but there's um, the storyline doesn't have much room for improv, so you have high stakes, but you can only have them at certain chosen uh, divergence points, right? Like, this is the point where the character chooses whether they um, save the, the children or eat the children, and this is the point where those two paths cross. Whereas when you're running a tabletop game, at any time, your players could be like, nah, we eat the children. And then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> what happens? What happens here? <laughs> like, I think part of the beauty of tabletop is how responsive it is. Um, so you can have player choices with high stakes because you can um, and must respond to the to the players in something much closer to real time than you can in a video game. A really difficult choice for me in a Ghost Echo game that we played that Nick was GMing had my character running away from some sort of monster that was probably based on, like, some type of tool because that was a thing that he had going for a while. Mm. Yeah, I remember I remember that guy. I remember all the pictures he used to draw of that guy. And I'm, <laughs> uh-uh, uh-uh, still scary. I remember, essentially, I was running away from a thing, and he was like, well, okay, you get away, but the failure condition is, like, you break your ankle. And that was a really, really, really hard one to choose that had, like, really just profound implications for how the entire rest of that session went. I remember that. <laughs> I remember that one now because you did choose to get away there, didn't you? I did, yeah. Because I remember we spent the rest of the session being like, how can we how can we get out of this? We have a party member with a broken ankle. Right. And that factored into every choice we made from there on. 
Oh, I remember that now. Oh, that was a good game. It was a good game. It was a scary game. <laughs> Those big reverberating choices that like, and that kind of makes me think the ones that are the hardest are the ones that will affect Sometimes it, it, to more or lesser extent, how it will affect my character factors in. But like, if it affects the whole party, it's a big decision because then you're like, uh, and I mean, you kind of have to base it on to how your, how the character interacts with the party, how, you know. But at the end of the day, it's like it. It's a big thing because it's it's it affects everyone. So it's those are the really tough ones. And that's something that's kind of always been part of the design of the resolution mechanic in this game because, I mean, the game's about teamwork. So I want players to seriously think about the choices they make and how they impact the party. Well, okay, I'm going to give an example of that. Great, because I stalled on the road. In Sword of Symphony's campaign, when the roof was collapsing, as mentioned in Another Cat's Cradle, Tissa's Special ability is that she can cast spells beyond her scatter cap and still gets knocked out, but the spells become super powerful. And I was thinking, like, do I need to be the hero here? How do they get out of this? But then the thought was like, well, but then how do they rescue me unconscious on a hillside somewhere? Yeah. Is that making things worse for them potentially? And it's like on a meta level, like, well, I'm not on this in this scene. Do I want other players to be taking the forefront here? Um, and sort of like all of those factors, like, were going through my mind really rapidly. And then Nick ended up coming up with the thing that he came up with. Yeah. I really liked Tissa on the hillside with her entire hand in her mouth. Mm-hmm. That's never, that's still with me, that image. It's <laughs> like, I would have, like, Tissa's just like, increasingly, increasingly anxious until, like, in a panic, cast this huge spell I would have loved. Yeah. I like I like what Nick did. Um, I'm still baffled by the decision not to take extra treasure because it means I have to recalculate uh, my cob edge successes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have um, liked that outcome too. Yeah. Well, and I bet that that's part of the fun for GMing, though. Yeah. It's sort of this uh, this little bit of cat and mouse game. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm trying to put things in front of you guys that are difficult choices. But when they're not difficult choices, they're also very funny. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's what's kind of challenging is that, like, as a GM, I want the game to be challenging so that you feel the rewarding sensation of overcoming a challenge. That's what makes role-playing games fun. But at the same time, putting an edge success in front of somebody who just stone cold says, I take it, will never not be funny to me. <laughs> it's good radio. It's real funny. It also is, a, as a player, kind of a, a, a neat feeling when you just like, you have that very decisive, like, no, I know. I know what I'm going to do. And it's, you, you get that little bit of like confidence. Like, yeah, I got this. It's, it's, it's. It's no thing. I I can take on the extra edge success. It's all good. Okay. Okay, here's one. Here's one. So you finally get to arrange a D&D campaign that you don't have to run. You finally get people together to play D&D with you. 
but you have to play the class you hate. <laughs> mm. Okay, don't get mad at me, listeners, but if someone were like, hey, Kat, we've got a space in our D&D campaign. These are all people who can make it every week. This is a time slot that is not a problem for you, but you have to play a wizard. Uh, i do it. <laughs> I whine about it. I whine about it. I, I find playing wizards to be so fussy. I can't. <laughs> well, so how quickly would you, like, change to some absurd prestige class? Because I assume that's still how Dungeon Dragon works. I multi-class to barbarian. <laughs> Get lost. I don't care what you guys say. I'm punching. <laughs> no, you just take all of the, like, cat's graces and huge bull's strengths and... Similar spells and just be a uh, a one-person buff machine for yourself so that you can punch <laughs> more gutter. I had a friend who played a cleric like that once. Stuff of legends. Let's mm. see. Um, I'm trying to think of other good fun ones. You come up with a really good concept for a cat's cradle, but you do end up exposing a lot of things about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I've taken that one, apparently. (laughs) Including that wizards are my least favorite class. I'm sorry, wizards. I don't know. I I agree. I'm not not the type of player that, that can manage multiple moving parts. (laughs) That, uh... (laughs) Okay, you're going to work at a small company, but like with people that you all get along with individually, whose work you respect, but it's a very small office, maybe like at most eight people, and two people are dating, and neither of them... Yeah, they're we'll just we'll just say that there are two of those people are dating. Ah, oh, crap. Uh, I, I think I think I take the job. I take the I take the job. I I do take the job, just because I've successfully dodged into personal drama in the office by just being the kind of starry eyed Pollyanna who loves everyone. I think I could do it. <laughs> I I think I could navigate this, but. That was a pretty Oof. good pause from both of you. <laughs> yeah, no, you you did make me you, you did make me consider that one. You had to, I had to consider. I'm like, mm. <laughs> and it's like it's a it's a job that I'm like, oh, it's you know probably be good for my career kind of thing, and yeah, yeah. Um, Wow. I've got nothing. I think we've hit most of the points we want to for yeah. the talk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree. And usually cat's cradles are a little bit on the short side, so... Mm-hmm. Um, Something that might be neat is if people, if they want to to send us, you know, ideas of like, what sort of edge successes ideas would you like to see um, given as choices? What do you think would make our characters have tough decisions? 
Or tell, like, GMs, what are some tough decisions you've given your players? Players, when were times when you were like, ah, man, I just don't know. Yeah, my question for you guys, you've got three questions now. You must answer us these riddles three. <laughs> three witches in the forest, stirring a cauldron. We're not 90s sleepover girls anymore. Now we are witches, and we're stirring a cauldron, and the cauldron is full of games. And my question for you is... Have you ever disagreed with an edge success a party member has taken or not taken? Let us know. Like, would you have just dropped the lockbox? Would you have eaten all the hot peppers? Oh. I don't know about it. Because, like, that does happen. There's times where I've seen other players, um, and it's like, really? You would do that? Well, all right. (laughs) So, yeah, that's a good one. One of my demo games, one of my players had a boatload of edge successes on an attack roll. I'm like, you can keep this. You're going to devastate this thing. You're going to break your weapon. And that was the hardest thing. That was a struggle. It was an absolute struggle. Whereas for me, nah, smash it. I'm like, <laughs> that's a real hard I'll break, choice. I'll break stuff over somebody's head any day. Like, that sounds dope. So answer us these riddles three or any other riddles you'd like to on Twitter at Peach Garden RPGs or on our website using our email form. We love you. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us is what I usually say at the end of these. Um, Thanks, listeners. Yeah, thanks for listening. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay, Kat. I'm saving you. The music's coming on now. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Carry me away, music. (laughs) 